Are you looking for the ideal gift for the dog-loving children in your family? Jack and Billy Puppy Tales is a delightful story with an important message for children of all ages. It's written by Steve Goodall and Sally Bradbury. You'll follow two puppies, Jack and Billy, during that all-important first year of their lives. It's had some amazing reviews from some of the top dog trainers in the world. Dr Ian Dunbar, veterinary behaviourist, says... I started to smile after only four pages. I couldn't put it down and at the end I could barely read for tears of happiness. This is a wonderful book. Karen Tong, dog training instructor and child dog bite prevention educator, said this. This will definitely educate both children and adults about the correct way to bring up a puppy. It belongs in the home of all dog lovers and anyone considering acquiring a puppy. You can find us at jackandbillypuppytails.com and join the adventures. We're also on Facebook, Jack and Billy Puppy Tales. See you soon. We have some very exciting news for you on the Barks from the Bookshelf podcast. Our lovely friends at Dogwise, who publish a lot of the books that we have featured and are due to feature, have decided to give all of you lovely listeners 10% off all of their titles. So if you head to their website, which is www.dogwise.com, you can have a look at their catalogue. And when you get to your shopping cart at the end, just type in the coupon code, which is BARKBOOK, all one word, B-A-R-K-B-O-O-K, and they'll give you a whopping 10% off. Enjoy! Barks from the bookshop and we're gonna learn about our dogs and barks from the bookshop and we're gonna learn together. Barks from the bookshop and we're gonna learn about our dogs and barks from the bookshop. Here we go. Barks from the bookshop and we're gonna learn about our dogs and barks from the bookshop and we're gonna learn together. Barks from the bookshop, we're gonna learn about our dogs and barks from the bookshop. Hello, folks. It is I, Steve, again on the Todd doing a little introduction to our very special off the shelf episode. I'm massively excited about today's episode um, for various reasons. Um, but before we get on to that, I just want to give a shout out to our patrons. Um, thank you so much to everyone that I, I mean, I, you know, I, it's not too much to say that we love you. I don't, uh, I don't think that's too much to say at all. Um, your support means the absolute world to us. Um, and it really, really does help us out as well. Um, in terms of keeping things going, uh, providing content, um, thinking up new ideas oh oh it's absolutely fabulous it's lovely every time a little alert goes off and there's a new patron oh my god it makes me smile and i'll quickly text nat and then it makes nat smile as well uh so thank you very much uh, i'm going to read you all out by your patron names um uh so we have diane thank you very much we have melissa oh melissa thank you very much uh we have lewis nichols we have allison we have nikki we have Pat, we have Greg as well. Um, thanks, Greg. He's a newbie. Um, and uh, also we have Karen, which is really, really interesting because uh, Karen is actually our guest on today's 
podcast. So there you go. She's become a patron as well. So thank you so much to everyone there. Um, the way we frame it is, um, you know, if, if you would, if you're enjoying this content, if you're listening to these and you can afford it, it's, it's, there's no pressure on anyone to do it. You're still going to get everything for free. And you, and you say to yourself, if I met them, if I met Steve and Nat, and Corin, uh, I, I might buy him a drink, you know. Um, uh, so there you go. So um, if you wanted to buy us a coffee or a pint or something like that, um, then uh, there you go. You can do it. You can do it via Patreon. That's uh, patreon.com forward slash bookshelvers. Patreon.com forward slash bookshelvers. Um, actually, as a little um, a little uh, bonus for our patrons this, this uh, month, um, I've been recording some new jingles, kind of like mini songs, actually. Um, on subjects about dogs um, kind of comedy mini songs I don't know how many of you know but I used to be in a band used to be a songwriter so I used those those now now defunct talents uh, to make uh, little earworm jingles obviously the barks on the bookshelf theme is one of them but I've written two ladies and gentlemen I've written two one is called um, I put my finger through the poop bag I think we can all relate to that one and the other one is called Grabbing Balls in the Park. So um, I'll leave that up to your imaginations. You're going to hear them on the podcast as we go through. But as a little perk, the patrons got to hear them before anybody else. Um, so that's just one of the things. We're going to be adding other extra little things on um, for our patrons as well as we work out how to run it. So on to today's episode. And like I said, very, very uh, thrilled um, and very, very excited to have on with us today Karen Murray. Now, Karen Murray is a business coach and she's a really good friend of ours as well. Um, wonderful, wonderful human being. Um, uh, she's been in my life for a, a while now. Um, I don't think uh, she would disagree when I say uh, my sort of uh, business kudos is uh, fairly limited. Um, the idea of, you know, figures and flow charts and spreadsheets and ugh, I'm getting a shiver down my spine thinking about it. I am very lucky that Corin is pretty savvy with all this stuff. Um, and she, and she really, really, uh, you know, focuses on that side of our business, but knowing Karen and having, uh, quite frequent at the beginning consultations with her really helped me to understand this and I think as uh, dog professionals if anyone out there is listening and wanted to start their own business has got their own business I think we have maybe some some unique challenges maybe not so unique um, obviously we'll talk to Karen about that um, but because you know it's hard isn't it because we really love what we do so you know valuing that and putting prices on that and learning how to how to view it as a business, I think we end up sort of in a, in a bit of cognitive dissidence there. So there was, there was a few questions that I had that I wanted to put to Karen. We also put put out the call to the bookshelvers who came back with a, an astounding response of, of questions that they would like to ask as well. So so we have a lot of questions that get answered um, in this podcast. Um, uh, and I think anyone listening will find something in here um really really valuable um it's an honest conversation so we talk we talk very honestly and we really really thank uh karen for that as well um and anyone um that wants to know more about karen you can look her up on uh, linkedin and facebook there's going to be links in the notes but she also has her own podcast called the smart business podcast um, little chunks of invaluable business advice, motivating. It's great. Um, check in with it. It's on my subscriber list. So, 
So it should be on yours as well, bookshelvers, shouldn't it? Shouldn't it? That makes sense, doesn't it? So, right, without um, holding on to you too long before we get into the podcast, let's go and say hello to Karen, uh, uh, Corin and Nat are on this interview as well. Um, I hope you enjoy it and, um, yeah, send us some feedback. Thank you. Bye. Hello, everybody. Hello. 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 All right. I'm, I'm really excited about tonight. Um, not too. only we'll get to this later, not only because we probably had the most questions ever posted on our Facebook page, which might have taken our very special guest by surprise a little bit, it seems. Um, but it's almost like we've wangled a free business consultation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We should have thought of that sooner. We could have had K, big K on as... Um, a regular guest there you go oh what what would you do if yeah (laughs) asking for a friend (laughs) so um we are absolutely thrilled to have our friend our good friend uh karen murray joining us today um hello karen how are you hello i'm so pleased to be here i'm really excited actually because it's forever since i last saw you face to face and um picnics in the field feel like a million years ago they were a million years ago i I miss you i know and and we've we've moved since then and you haven't seen the new house yet nat's seen it in demolished destruction yeah i think you'd been in maybe a few no it was a few months not a few weeks there was some some stuff done a lot of stuff being done so you had you didn't invite nat round and she just demolished and destroyed your house So, yeah, it was really exciting because I did wonder, like, I, I I have dogs, as you know, but, you know, I'm I'm a business coach and I don't really have a book about dogs. So I was like, oh, what will I talk about? And then all these questions appeared in the Facebook page. I was like, oh, OK. Yeah. Isn't it funny exciting. because we were we were like, um, it's a no brainer to get you on to, to chat about business. But you felt a little bit apprehensive because it was in the dog world. Um, you're very kind ah ah well you're very amazing and everyone will yeah. everyone will hear how amazing you are so there you we go you've helped you. us out a lot so i i reckon well how did we meet i reckon that would be a good that would be a good place to start who wants to who wants to i go first. go on you go first. Go first. um i first met um karen um with her lovely beagle scooter mm. in a scallywags puppy class Oh really? I didn't yeah. know that. Mm. Um so um I remember you just being lovely with scoots and <laughs> um we then kind of reconnected after that class was done and um did some one to one stuff and it all went from there really. Couldn't get rid of me after that, could you? <laughs> no. So we'd have our one to one and we'd go to the pub and have a cider. That yeah. doesn't sound like Nat yeah. at all. We sort of bonded <laughs> over cider. <laughs> that's, that's how great. everyone's stories with friends with Nat start. Yeah, that's how that's how I met Nat. <laughs> oh, no. I was in that puppy class with can I say the dog's name? 
Yeah. Well, well it's not. obviously etched into your memory. <laughs> it is. Do you remember yeah. the yes, publicans in the, with with salty? Yeah. Salty. That's a good dog name. I like yeah. it. it was a great dog name. He was really cute, but he was very vocal and all yeah. the time. Was, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The time. that was oh. just brilliant. He was quite. Yeah, he was fun. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember. Uh, I think. How did I meet Karen? Oh yeah, I think I heard Nat singing your praises on her Facebook page, and I think I. I think if I remember, I reached out to you via like a. Facebook message or something, which is very unlike me. I, I definitely to... think you've got a false memory there. I think oh, I? I think um, uh, I was invited along to, first, and we were doing some sort of little group sessions, weren't we, with Carrie as well? And, yeah. and then and then you got drafted in later. Uh, I do. I, do, I honestly thought I might have reached out. I don't know. Stevie, Stevie G, late memory. to the party. Yeah. Yeah. No, that that we used to meet in in the little pub near Nat. And then eventually you were my first paying clients for business coaching because we were just meeting casually for drinks. And then you said, you know, we really ought to pay you. And you were the first people that asked to pay me. And I was talking about this on my podcast this week. Because you're still the group of people that I think of when I'm feeling a bit like, oh, I can't really do this. This is blooming hard work. You're still the group of people that I think of that I think, no, I have to do it because there are people out there like my little Mutt's Mastermind. Mutt's Mastermind, that was it. You're the Mutt's Mastermind. (laughs) Oh, it was brilliant. One of my most memorable ones was when... um, you uh, kind of struck the fear of God into all of us. Uh, we were we were, we were a point like a me. point in, and you went, "Let's do a Facebook live." Yeah. Oh yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yes, yeah. didn't I? Like I went off. Face. I like left. I left the room. I left the. We were in the garden, actually, weren't we? I was yeah, like, we were. We were in the garden yeah. of the elm tree. Yeah. yeah, I went to the toilet and I come back and I swear you only started the live when I got back. <laughs> <laughs> I did. We waited. Yeah, that was the first ever Facebook live. I look at you live. all doing video and lives. And... I know. Yeah. I, like, I like to think of you as a kind of life belt. You supportively throw us in the deep end. Mm. <laughs> I love that, yeah. I'm a life preserver. I remember the yeah. breakfasts when we were oh, doing those. Yeah. yeah. Oh, hello. Yeah, you didn't was... always get to go to them, did you? No, so I didn't. Was... <laughs> you were often working because that's when you were still dog walking. Yeah, yeah. yeah back in the Are you day. still dog walking? No, no, we haven't done I think we stopped actually. Um, we did. Ca- we kept a few clients on. Literally, but... we were walking a couple of dogs that could be walked with like Penny. So, yeah. um, but since the pandemic, uh, yeah. they they all work from home now, so they don't need yeah. us. And yeah, there's. Was a little that's good sad in a way. Bit. You were oh, I don't know. That was that's good in yeah, a way. Yeah, yes, definitely. You were yeah. talk. You talked about giving that up for a really long time. <laughs> well, this is going to come onto some of the themes of things that I've got to talk about. I think about like you know when when to give things up, how to value mm-hmm. yourself, all of these things. Mm-hmm. I actually I've actually written a lot of questions to ask you. If that's okay, ah, I'm ready. But before that, before that, about a little bit about yourself. How did you um, get into being a business coach? Um, tell us about your business. So I am one of those people that just thinks it's never too late to do anything and nothing is ever wasted because I I will give you a very quick potted history, but Mm -hmm. I've not got one of those glamorous CVs where I've worked with, you know, super high value names other than obviously your good selves. Um, (laughs) But I, you know, I left school at 16 
and went straight to work. And then I went and got a degree when I was 24. And eventually, after having my son, I did the thing that I wanted to do when I was a child, which was become a teacher, but discovered that actually, whilst I loved teaching, I didn't love teaching in our current education system and in school. And so I actually then went to drew on all my business experience up till before I went to university. And then I went to be a director of a company. And that company was a small maritime intelligence company. And we, they were in rapid growth, but their infrastructure and how they were running the business didn't support their growth. Um, And so I went in to put all of that stuff in place and to support their rapid growth. And we grew that company from 270,000 turnover a year to just under 3 million in three years. Wow. And it was great fun, but it was a wild ride. And I have to say that the person that I was working for, the business owner, was um, diplomatically um, challenged. Let's say he was challenged and, um, and found it very difficult to value us as a team and used to sort of talk a lot about it being his train set. And eventually it got quite toxic working there and my mental health really started to suffer. So I got to a point where I was uh, driving to work one day and um, I'd started taking antidepressants and I was driving to work one day and I was passing under the bridge on the M27 with the concrete pillars either side, you know, the one in Fairham. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a big difference between suicidal thought and suicidal intent. But I was driving under the bridge and I just thought, oh, this is too much. And I had this brief, what would it be like if I just didn't have to do this anymore? And it really rocked me to have that. I'd had pretty dark thoughts about, you know, going to work, but it really rocked me. And I got into work and I thought, that's it. What would it be like if I didn't have to do this anymore is the right question, just in the wrong setting. (laughs) Let's not drive into a concrete pillar to, (laughs) to sort that out. And I, I drafted an email then to the two business owners and said, I think it's time we talked about my exit plan. And I didn't really have an exit plan at all. Um, but I knew that it was kind of either the job or me and I had to get out of there. And I thought over the weekend, they sort of panicked and said, let's have a meeting on Monday because neither of them were in the office. This was a Thursday at 11 o'clock. I will never forget it. Um, and... We had this meeting on the Monday and over the weekend, I was like, oh God, what am I going to do? Because I really didn't feel I was in a fit state to go and start applying for jobs. Mm. You know, the whole interview process. And I thought, so what I thought, madly, it would be a much, much better idea to start my own business, depressed, (laughs) (laughs) with anxiety and depression. This is a really good idea. Let's start a business of my own. So anyway, I started a business. And that's really how I started understanding what it was like to be a solo business owner because I'd done this in corporate and then I started working for myself and I started working for myself in leadership and team development doing what I knew which was helping people to repair damaged relationships in in the workplace and I hated it I really really hated it and 18 months in I was really miserable and I'd like um kind of facilitation type stuff where mm-hmm. there's a grievance and you're yes. going in to be the impartial uh, that kind so you, of so thing you're surrounded by Conflict quite a lot resolution. of negativity yeah yeah so counseling it was just way. madness yeah you'd be a good so, yeah, dog trainer conflict, conflict <laughs> resolution <laughs> they, 
so that was really mad and and then a dear dear friend um sort of pointed me in the direction of a, a group called business builders and I met a business coach there called Ian Dixon and I had a few sessions with Ian and he said why don't you become a business coach you're so good at this and he pointed me in the right direction but what I did then and that's where you guys come in because I had started to have my sessions with um, Nat and we'd started to talk a bit about business because this was going on and that's when we met at the pub and and I started the Mutt's Mastermind as a test really can I do this you were kind of my proof of concept you were the first people that I really started to give business coaching advice to and it seemed to go okay and it grew from there and I wound down my consultancy and wound up the business coaching so that's quite a long answer no it's good it's good (laughs) that's what I love about you Karen is that um you're so approachable about your own past and you know we all have those moments of feeling overwhelmed and you know you just uh I I had never ever 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 one considered myself a businesswoman or two considered getting a help from a business coach and you were you were just you you were brilliant you are brilliant mm-hmm. It's not, sorry, it's not a past tense. It's, <laughs> yeah. uh, for for all sorts of reasons, it wasn't, um, you know, similar to if you think about going to counselling for your own mental health, you've got this kind of picture of what it might be like. And, mm. um, it wasn't like that at all. There was lots of stationery and lots of food, which... Oh, God, stationery. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> what still, I remember. <laughs> I still have a stationery thing going on. In fact, now I subscribe to a luxury stationery box. Oh, oh good oh, lord! Of course, it there's arrived. luxury stationery boxes. It arrives. Every don't two don't even oh, mention heaven. it because heaven. <laughs> I remember that there's been some moments in my life where I've been really, really scared. But walking into that room full of that many post-it notes on the wall was one oh. of those moments where I've like, you know, when you're like, have I made a mistake? Am I am I going to get Is murdered? That, am I in the right place? <laughs> <laughs> At least there wasn't like the scrawlings of a mad woman all over them. It all seemed to make perfect sense. So that's always I'm good. glad you thought there weren't the scrawlings <laughs> of a mad woman all over the world. I actually you've 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 neatly segued me into one of my first questions because I I wanna sort of like make this interview as helpful as possible for our listeners. Um and yeah. I think you've got some great ideas and knowledge about stuff um and one of the questions that came to me when i was thinking about the sort of things that i might ask you or might want to know if i was a dog trainer um is is i i think as dog trainers we get into business because we want to help animals uh predominantly and then maybe people as well along the way we quickly learn that it's more about helping people as well as it is about helping animals um but that love for it seems to cause a bit of a disconnect in terms of how much we value our worth, um, how how we set our prices, all these kind of things. Because if you really, really love something you do, um, I think it becomes what well, it did for me. I remember at the beginning, um, uh, I, 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 I found it hard to get my head around sort of pricing and all of these sorts mm. of things. And I wanted to just try and help everybody that I can so have you I mean obviously you've got us lot uh, and Carrie to to 
to look back on but do you, do, you, do you find that a lot with people starting out their business especially if it's like a labor of love that they that they struggle with things like pricing valuing themselves and, and what's the deal there why is it so hard I work with almost all of my business owners who run a heart-centered business I struggle with this and and it's even worse when you come across people who actually then message you and say if you really love this this much you would be giving it away for free mm. And, um, you know, unfortunately, my bank manager, I don't know about yours, but doesn't take love of my job um, in payment for my mortgage. And the last time I checked, Sainsbury's didn't take love of my job as payment for our food either. And so there's, there's a thing about a fair exchange of value. You're, you're doing something that has value to the people that um, that you're doing it with and for, and they then return that with a, with a financial value. So you are giving them something of value and then they, they pay you for that. And so once we get the idea of a fair exchange of value, pricing is never the problem. When I, when I work with people and they say that they're struggling with their pricing and they don't know what to price, pricing is not the problem. You do know what to price. You do know mm-hmm. because, because you know what your competitors are charging um, you know what the, the top and the bottom is in your industry. I'm fairly certain. If not, you can easily find out. You just don't want to charge what you've got a, a mental or an emotional block to charging what you know that that is worth. Mm. And that's not really to do with how you value the service. It's how you value yourself. And and a lot of it is that we're, we're avoiding any kind of um, criticism that might be something that we're already kind of thinking in our own head. So there's a bit of us somewhere that thinks I shouldn't really be charging for this. Mm. And it's that bit of us that says, what I shouldn't be charging for this, that we have to challenge and we have to lovingly challenge ourselves and say, why should I not be charging for this? What, you know, that's the bit that we've got to unpick. Why do I think I shouldn't be charging for this? And the other thing to ask ourselves is, is that true? When you're thinking something that you know is a bit dodgy um, as a business owner, you have to be saying, is that true? You know, I know we've got a question about imposter syndrome, so I won't go there yet. But we have to start asking ourselves, is what I'm saying to myself actually the truth? And, And the reality is it's not. You are providing a really valuable service to people. Imagine the pickle people would be in if there were no dog trainers and no behaviorists and imagine the lives of dogs if there were no behaviorists and no dog trainers Mm. we don't even have to imagine it that hard because we see it all the time people that haven't ever engaged with behaviorists and trainers we see it all the time the cruelty that happens sometimes by mistake people don't know they're being cruel Mm. and sometimes deliberately Mm. and so Part of what you're doing by offering that service is you're enabling people to have that fair exchange of value. Because if you don't charge for it, how many people engage with your free content and actually do something with it? Mm. Yeah. It, very, very few. And I found this over and over again when I've done free consults for people who have said to me, oh, I'm a bit hard up, you know, I can't really. Not one of them ever does anything with it. Because if they did something with it, they'd be coming back as paying clients because they would be able to afford to, Mm -hmm. but they don't. And so if we don't charge people, there's no value there. You're basically saying what I'm telling you has no value. 
Yeah, that's really and that's interesting. A really, mm. That is a really big issue. When when we, we should give away free content because that's about no like and trust. That's that's just building no like and trust. And um, we want people to know us, get to like how we do things, and trust us enough to pay us for stuff. Um, because that's really important in building up a really strong client relationship. But our free content is really there to give people quick wins. It's to help people to trust that they can do it with our help and to come to us for that help. That's the only purpose of your free content. It's not to change lives really, Mm. because that free content, if it's quick wins, then it's, it's free. But if you want the big win, if you want the relationship, if you want the thing, that has value. Yeah, yeah, sure. And basically when you're not comfortable with charging that, you're saying the dog isn't worth it and neither are you. Yeah. I I remember you talking about um, when we used to visit um, about the relationship we have with money from the past Mm. as well. And um, I I definitely took on that and I feel much more comfortable. But it did take a while, certainly. Mm. Yeah, it does take a while. To change that mindset. Yeah, it does. And you have to challenge the thinking. With any of this, all of your feelings come from how you're thinking. And it takes work to challenge your thinking. And sometimes we're in the right place to do that work and sometimes we're not. We have to evaluate, is pricing a really big problem? And am I prepared to do the thinking work to change change that so that my behavior is different so that I can run a successful business? Uh, because if you tell people that what you're giving them has no value, they'll either do nothing with it or they'll treat you as though you're giving them something of no value. Mm-hmm. I think one of the <clears throat> brilliant exercises we did with you was to actually work out an hourly rate. Mm-hmm. And when you look at, you know, the expertise that people have in the dog training and behavior sector, mm-hmm. um, and then you really stringently add it up you know, mm. not not thinking, okay, I was with them in a field for an hour, but okay, it took me half an hour to get there. I've been emailing them for a week. Uh, the payment didn't go through, so I had to chase them up, all that stuff. And then you realize you're on lower wage than yeah. minimum wage. Mm-hmm. It's quite shocking. Um, and-, and they're not on lower wage than minimum wage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they, have I, no, they have no problem being paid what they're worth. The mm. thing is, as well, the way the way you've helped me look at it is that, one, I needed to practice actually saying figures because we're so bad at that, just saying the price. Just say the price. This is the price. It's not hard. It's, this is the price. This is what I cost. But also, um, the more, the, the, the higher your charges are for you to have a good quality of life, when there genuinely is a client that is so keen but can't scrape it together for whatever reason you can give a discount or you can do some pro bono work Mm -hmm. you know which is massively rewarding in itself um but we shouldn't be doing pro bono day after day no you're you are in control all the time as a business owner and it is always your choice but um it, I think the thing about it with pricing, and we, you know, you could do a whole podcast on pricing because <laughs> yeah. it's such a big topic. You have to be comfortable saying the price, and then you have to stick within your boundaries of what the what is included in that price, because yeah. otherwise you get creep. And and once you start to get that kind of scope creep of what's included, you you get a real problem. So we have to be really careful to stay within the boundaries and. 
if people people will pay that if they see the value. So when you set your prices, understand the benefit to the client and talk about the benefits. Because when people, if if it's a fair exchange of value, when you're saying the price, if they understand the value, they'll pay the price. Mm-hmm. When you get pushback on a price, it's not because you're too expensive. Yeah. It is not because you're too expensive. It's because you haven't they do not understand the value because you haven't expressed it clearly enough in language they understand. Mm-hmm. And this also is then about the empathy piece. You've got to sit in the shoes of the person who is not a dog trainer, who is having this situation with their dog. And you've got to understand that person enough to explain the value in their language. And, and then you won't get that pushback unless they genuinely can't afford it. And then you get a choice. How many times have you gone whoa whoa boy oh you need to drop your prices to someone (laughs) i figured that might be the that might be the case when i i remember when i first started working with karen i was charging 75 pounds for a behavior consult and uh i now charge 250 pounds for a consult and i still can't keep up with demand Yeah. And also you've gone paperless. So you mm. don't write. When you were charging £75, you were also spending like an hour and a half writing a report that was 11 pages long when when you were doing that, because that's when we worked out your hourly rate was about mm-hmm. threepence halfpenny. <laughs> <laughs> I owed the business money. <laughs> <laughs> like this charity. Um, and so, yeah, that's the other thing is looking at if you want to charge £75 for something, that's okay. But you have to look at the work that goes into that and stick to those boundaries. So one of the ways to have £250 for a consult is to go paperless, because still the expertise that goes in and the amount of training that you've paid for and the amount of work you do to be able to have that level of expertise, that's why it's worth £250. That's why it's worth £350, you know, easily. Mm-hmm when you're in those situations. See, Karen's trying to get you to go up now. (laughs) (laughs) The thing is, yeah, that's why I remember reading uh, a little um, cartoon and it was, uh, you know, we've done this in a few minutes, so why would I pay you so much? It's like, because it's taken me 10 years to learn how to do it in a few minutes. Mm. Yeah, yes, exactly. We can all think of examples, you know, Mm. um, hanging wallpaper. Mm. We, Mm. We could probably all do it to some degree. It might look a bit rubbish um it will take you forever and actually just pay someone that's been doing it their whole life mm-hmm. yeah um, yeah so it's yeah it's it's hard i think i think the other complication um is that we've got this kind of two-tiered society within the dog training behavior sector where you worry that if you don't get that job they're going to go to someone that's going to do something horrible to that dog. Mm-hmm. Um, and I certainly feel that that pressure on my shoulders, uh, less so now. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly when I was beginning, I was thinking not not in an ego way, but, you know, if they if they don't work with me and they go and work with the, you know, uh, yank and choke person down the road because I know they charge five pounds, then I'm I'm not helping animal welfare, which is fundamentally why I went into this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think that's kind of like we're a little bit like that at the moment. We're getting um, a lot of inquiries and um, yeah, trying to fit everybody in. Trying to spread ourselves thin. Yeah, 
Yeah. Maybe gone a bit too. I, I think <laughs> the, the, an interesting point about this is, I mean, we're in funny times right now, right? We've just had like a global mm. pandemic. And I, I made some observations, <laughs> what I'm sure everyone, there's, you know, it wasn't anything new. But when we first went into the original lockdown in our industry, particularly, it might have been the same in other industries. It was like everyone was scrambled to learn how to do online. Scramble, scramble. And, and savvy, savvy in air quotes, people were like, then offering courses of how to train dog trainers to do online mm-hmm. courses and i'm sure they all um they all cashed <laughs> in massively from that um uh, and then then the lockdown eased and when the lockdown started to ease it was then scarcity mindset all of these people mm-hmm. were then like how do we get all of the clients back um of course it was a tsunami of people that had got puppies during the lockdown that came back yeah. to everyone and then the lockdown came back again and then it eased off again and it, I, it was quite interesting watching how it affected our industry um but mm-hmm. that scarcity mindset i mean not even so much the the idea of they're going to go to you know balance trainer or something like that but just mm-hmm. the other trainer half a mile down the road you know if mm-hmm. i don't get this client they might go to that now it's taken me a long time to kind of get over that sort of scarcity mindset um i'm very comfortable with our business now i'm very you know really really comfortable about it but sometimes sometimes it creeps in a little bit you know and i'm only being honest sometimes you're watching other people on facebook and things and you're thinking oh my god you know are they you know there was a new trainer on the block or something like that and you get that (laughs) sort of you know those those sort of things creeping in it's quite interesting from a psychological point of view totally and and everybody has that and i think managing an abundance mindset managing the opposite of that is um is really important. We have to just keep working on that. And when those thoughts do creep in, there is enough for everybody. There's more than enough. Our job is to do our marketing in a way that reflects who we are so that the right people come and work with us because it's a two-way thing. You don't want all the clients. You don't want them all. If if there is somebody who is prepared to go to the Yankin, whatever it is, trainer. I said that right. Well done. Um, <laughs> uh, then they don't. Then they're not committed to being force-free trainers. They're not committed to doing the work. They wouldn't be great clients anyway. And I don't believe that anybody who's inquired of you, if they've seen your marketing, would be doing anything other than I. I want a force-free uh, trainer. Mm. Yeah, you're the right. The people who want that cheap training have gone there first. Mm. Mm. Yeah. that's what they because because they're searching on price and one of the things i think that is worth remembering because there's this sometimes a, a bit of an odd thing i think in some industries and the, and the dog training industry is one of them where um you get lovely collaborations like yours and 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 i know there's lots of people like you and mm. then there are some slightly trickier parts of the dog training community that maybe aren't as collaborative but if if we keep dropping our prices because we have fears, which it's just a race to the bottom and we're doing everybody a disservice because the public will start to think that dog training should only be this price. And dog training shouldn't only be this price. Dog training should be really expensive because we should not be getting dogs. It costs a lot of money to learn to drive a car. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about a human uh, uh, a human life in a car you know protecting human life and we're talking about life when we have dogs mm. and so it should be expensive to learn how to be a good carer and a good guardian of a dog that's and, a really and- good analogy 
I'll tell you, just jumping in really quickly, because I mm. heard something today um, which really rung true when I heard it. And now you've said that, I've kind of gone back the other way. That's how influential I am in, in, um, when hearing people talk. <laughs> um, but uh, someone said, Nicole so um, I was listening to an interview today um, on Nick Benger's podcast, friend of the podcast, Nick Benger. Um, Hi, and uh, uh, he was interviewing a woman called Veronica, who's a pet business specialist. And they were talking mm. about um, day training, which is basically... Um, you, you know the trainer takes your dog it's very popular mm. in america not so popular over here trainer takes your dog um trains them gives them back you do a few handover sessions with the owner you know seems like a good idea but the way she put it was that there's no other industry in or not many industries that she could think of where you where you give someone some money they then give you a load of homework <laughs> you know and send you away with a load of homework and then you've got to come back and if you don't do the homework then it's no good and i thought well that's really that that's really interesting because that's kind of what we do. Do you know you think people come to classes or do one-to-ones and I will I will show them what to do, then then give them some homework to do and then we work on it collaboratively collaboratively obviously, but mm. but then you saying the car analogy. Yeah, that's kind that's kind of that's the opposite of that, isn't it? You know, you drive a car yeah. so you have a responsibility because that car you know, is potentially I'm not saying every dog is potentially dangerous. I mean they are, but you know what I mean? Yeah, and I think the other thing about that is it doesn't have to be either or. Those things yeah. can operate in parallel. You can have very, very loving dog owners who are afraid that they're going to mess it up. And you're doing a massive service if you train the dog to respond to certain things and then teach them what they need to do. And and that eases that. And then they'll get some confidence and then maybe they'll carry on and come to you for some other things. Mm. But you're doing a huge service to somebody who would love to have a companion dog maybe, but is is afraid. Or people who are very, very busy, but they really want their children to have the experience of having a dog, but they know that they're not going to do the training well enough and they'll mess it up. It's a huge service to, to mm. offer to people. So it doesn't have to be either or, mm. but it does have to be expensive. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. To have that level of specialism and and it's too easy the barrier the bar to dog ownership has is too low in my opinion i Mm. i think i became okay a few years ago about um our prices or actually putting them up um when someone that we were seeing um decided to go and see um a, a person who did dog crystal reading Um, And they paid quadruple um, what they paid us um, for a six week course. And they just had a one crystal reading session. And I thought, okay, right, that's fine. I know what I'm doing now. You carry on being you. That's that's for you. People um, but will I pay knew, for yeah. anything. Yeah. That dog crystal trainer person, <clears throat> dog whatever that is, okay. um, <laughs> what they woo. did was make it really... Be- that's woo, 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 yeah, woo. Yeah. I'm woo. That's woo, 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 woo. Um, they, they, what they did, that's just marketing. That is pure marketing that they promised them. Money loves speed. They promised them an instant result, an overnight change, and um, and this super whatever it was dog that they wanted. And they promised that, and the person went, I want that. And when people, when you market in a way, that people want the thing that you're promising, they'll pay any amount of money for it. Mm. That's think, why yeah. you buy a two thousand five hundred pound paperclip from Tiffany, for heaven's sake. Whatever is that about? <laughs> Tiffany. You know, when you see that, <laughs> when you see that kind of thing, you know that people, when people want something, they will pay for it when they understand its value, when it has value to them. Yeah, yeah. 
I, I also remember, here's another little thing. I remember butting heads with you early on in the Mutt's Mastermind um, about the, the concept of the ideal client because I wanted mm-hmm. to to like be available to everyone. And it's only been, this is what tends to happen with me. This has been very honest now. Is about, so you will tell me something, Karen. And then there's about a two year sort of gap <laughs> before it trickles into my brain. And then I suddenly think, Oh yeah, Karen said something about this a while ago, <laughs> and yeah, that's the sort of that's the sort of turnover rate. Luckily, that, that I'm or, on board. Yeah, it? luckily yeah. Corin's yeah, around luckily. just to steer. <laughs> I mean, you you might come round to it yourself, Steve, or me and Corin might go. Yeah, Karen yeah. mentioned that. I think like... I'm, yeah, I'm coerced. <laughs> I think the thing about niching and finding your niche will often find you. And yeah. at the beginning of your business, I would go broad, like at the beginning of your business. Anybody with a pulse and a wallet is a good client. You know, mm-hmm. you've got to bring money in to make it viable. The good thing about that when you do that is that gradually what happens is you start to find, I really like working with that type of person. I'd like to work with more of those sorts of people. So what you're doing, and I have shifted away from the ideal client as a single person to having an ideal community. Mm. So the Mutt's Mastermind for me was an ideal community. That's why I think of you guys when I think of who my ideal community is, more people like you that I would like to attract to work with me. Um, And so my marketing is based around attracting more of that kind of person. And that's the only reason you need to either niche or have an ideal client is because it's for you really so that you're working with the kind of people that you really love working with and that you know you help the best. So I don't work well with people who have got a big team. It's just not where, I don't give them my best. I work best with solo and small business owners. So that's my niche. Um, and I'm really comfortable with that. I might niche down if there were enough dog owners that dog trainers that wanted to work with me, I might even niche down again and only work with dog training businesses because I really love it and I'm very passionate about our dogs so your niche will find you but you do you do need to make sure the only reason people need some kind of niche to start with or or somewhere is to direct your marketing because if you're saying everything to everybody and I'm waving my arms around here like people can actually see me but that's just the nature of (laughs) what I do I do it on my own podcast as well Um, you know if you're marketing to everybody and you're saying we train dogs then somebody who's a bit worried about whether they're going to be a good dog trainer won't come to you. But if you say, we train anxious dog carers, dog guardians, to to be the kind of dog carer that they really want to be, then that person's going to hear that message and go, oh, that's the sort of person because they know that that's my anxiety. If you say, we're going to train you to have an amazing family pet, then families are going to go, we're going to go to the specialist. Mm. We're not going to go to the general, teach any old dogs where we're going to be with single people. And, you know, you might say, we train small dogs. We Mm. train big dogs. You know, there's lots of ways of doing it. Who do you like working with best? And then how can you have a niche that is not so small. That's what people worry about. It's so small that we won't have enough. But look at how many dogs there are out there. It's it's not whether you've got enough, it's how good your marketing is to say, this is the benefit to you and this is who we work with. Because if you're in a room of a hundred dog owners and everybody is saying, we train dogs, we train dogs. And then one person comes in and says, 
we work with anxious dog owners, the two or three anxious dog owners in that room are going to, oh, yeah. I'm going to go to them. And so the other thing to think about is how many clients do we actually need? And this is the thing about knowing your numbers, because when you're panicking about, oh, God, if I niche, I won't get enough clients. How many do you need? Yeah. Really? How many people can you work with? And then when you want to have more impact, see, then that's about bringing in enough money so that when you want to have more impact, you've got the money there to enable you to spend and have that greater impact. Because we need money in this world. We have to pay for stuff. You know, that's that's the reality. If you want to have a bigger impact and use things like Facebook ads or any other type of advertising or you, you know, you want to invest in some people to help you run your business, you've got to be, that's another thing about pricing. You've got to be making enough mm. money so that you can pay for that, to have that bigger impact, to work with those people, to protect more dogs from the yank and whatever it is, people. <laughs> um, you know, if you want to protect dogs, the best way to do that is to grow your reach, to grow your influence, so that as a dog owner or as a dog guardian or carer, my only the only voices I'm hearing are force-free voices. So that's the only option I go to. Mm-hmm. That that that's yeah. where we need to be thinking and, yeah. and layering up and leveling up in our thinking like how many people do i need but make the money if i really if my big thing is to have more impact then i need to be making the money that's all to do with your pricing and it's to do with your attitude about how you niche as well i i think this leads on to a question that i had um which is um when do you know when's a good time to hire someone and actually if that's ever a good idea you know, perhaps that's not the route you want to go down. Um, and, and what people, should they just be happy when they hit a certain level? Or is it always about growth, growth, growth? I need to hire someone or I need to outsource some of the other jobs. So this is really a personal choice. Mm-hmm. Just because you decide to stay a solo business owner doesn't mean you are less important or less um, less of a business owner than if you decide to hire. This is really, there's a, there's a few things to consider. It's how hard do you want to work? So if your business is growing quite organically, um, you're going to have to switch off your marketing. So Natalie is really good at doing this. We talked about this, um, holding your business in steady state. Mm-hmm. And, and it's quite difficult to hold a business in steady state because you get known and people just come and find you and it and all you have to do is say to people I can't you have to schedule people and just say you'll have to wait until x or go somewhere else and so that's really to do with your mindset but if you do want to and that's absolutely fine because the most important thing we started our businesses and most people start their businesses because they want to have more time more money more freedom and more impact now the impact people want to make doesn't have to be global. You just might want to have an impact in your local community mm-hmm. with the people within 10 streets of your home. And that's absolutely fine because if all dog trainers did that, every everywhere in the country would be covered and we'd have amazing situations for dogs. So never despise wanting to be small and never despise small beginnings would be my starting point. But... If you've got ideas about growth, that's great too, because success is how you define it. So define success first and then say, what would we need around us to have that level of success? And you may find to have that level of success, there's only so many hours in a day that you can work. 
And there's only so much you can do. There's only so much expertise. I often talk to solo business owners about what I really want is for you to be just good enough at everything so that you can make enough money so you can start to employ experts. And then you can let go of some of that stuff that you are less expert in. So do you love the jobs? Are you an expert in them? Are they boring? Those are my three criteria. So if you're doing jobs that are, that are a struggle for you because they're really, really boring, outsource them. Mm. Don't You don't have to think about employing people. Outsource them. Especially boring jobs are usually very, very process driven, could be done, with en- done by anybody if you write a good process. Um, so that's boring jobs. You don't want to be doing that. The second thing is expertise. You, you want to be working in your zone of genius, your zone of expertise, which is working with the dogs and creating content that enables you to work better with, with dogs and dog owners or dog carers and guardians. So you, um, is it in my zone of genius? Do I love doing it? So if you love doing it and you're a bit of an expert at it, go for your life. I know I still edit my podcast because I like editing my podcast mm. and I, you know, I don't, I don't mind doing it. Now I'm not an expert at it. So at some point I will start outsourcing that to people. So I don't know if that answers your question. I think it's right if it's right for you and, yeah. and where you want to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to be an expert in everything, but what you need to do is make sure that you keep paying yourself first. You only outsource out of profit. And I okay. cannot express this to your lovely listeners enough. Only outsource out of profit, never outsource out of what you should be paying yourself. Okay. And this is where your pricing, where you really have to work the numbers. The numbers tell you what you need to know. Because if you're at full capacity and you can't afford to outsource, there's something wrong with your business model. You know, if you're running on empty, if you're burning out, and I think we had a question about burnout. If you're running on empty and you're burning out and you can't afford to outsource, you've got to look at your business model because there's something wrong with it. Yeah. I got does one. That, yeah. And that, that's. Does that, yeah. I think, yeah, that, that, that last bit as well about the burnout, like, you know, looking at numbers, you know mm. what I've always been like with numbers. I am doing so much better. better. You'd be so proud, yeah. but. Um... <laughs> It's almost thinking about it backwards, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know. Uh, It depends what you want in life. And I know know some behaviourists and trainers that try to fit more time into their day that they can see clients by outsourcing and getting someone else to walk their dogs. That is a no-go for me personally. Mm -hmm. I'm not judging anyone on that, but that's my thing that I want to be able to do. Mm, And I would rather you know look at pricing or yeah it's your definition of, of success yeah exactly and you know i i think um the the exercises we've done with you where we've looked at okay so what do we have to have to pay mm-hmm. what do we need to live what do we want to be able to do and how can the business help me do that mm-hmm. um so it's exactly. kind of turns into um you know um working to live rather than living to to work mm. yeah it can do yeah yeah i think um i'm conscious of time oh yeah so i feel like i want to do a mastermind style quick fire round with the facebook questions yeah. how do you feel about that big k yeah no, that's fine we can do that yeah because there's quite a few are you gonna are you okay <laughs> um hang on 
Da, 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 da. <laughs> I just dim the lights. Okay. <laughs> okay, so uh Jet the lovely Jade. Mm-hmm. We all love the lovely Jade. Um how do you deal with burnout and imposter syndrome? So burnout we've just covered. Jade, I'd really like you to look at your business model. If you're burning out. So there's a couple of types of burnout that people in compassion industries have. One is compassion fatigue um, and the kind of burnout that comes when you, where you're not seeing the change that you want to see and you're working with people that aren't really you know, maybe looking after their animals in the way that you'd like and, or, or you're just, there's that emotional burnout. So that that's one. And the other is the physical burnout of just, you're working too hard. And so working too hard, you really need to look at your business model and think about what can I outsource of the work that I don't like doing. I'm not an expert in, isn't, you know, isn't in my zone of genius or is, is a repetitive task that really shouldn't be done by me. So that's that bit with the emotional burnout you need to be able to find a way to switch off so you need to find some um transition points in your day where you can go in and out of your emotional work so for me when i leave my office all of the kind of emotional stuff about helping business owners stays in here and i and i sort of consciously leave it behind when i leave my office and i close the door and I, and I let that go. And I go through a process. My end of day routine is, is designed to allow me to kind of shed the worries of the day and shed um, my worries about clients or anything else that I'm, I'm concerned about. So some routines that help you to do that would be if it's emotional burnout would be really important. And the other thing is to get some support around you. I'm sure you are talking to lots of people already, but it's really important that you... I have peer support from other coaches and we talk about not naming names, but we talk about situations with clients where we, we don't know what to do or, or we're worried or, you know, and I had a situation a couple of weeks ago and, and I was able to kind of go to another coach and say, can you talk me through this? And, and so that I got it out of, out of my body, out of my system. Um, so there's lots of things you can do with that emotional burnout, go for a walk, get out in nature, but it's really about shedding it and not wearing so heavily. Every dog in the universe is not your responsibility. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I think it's so hard with technology nowadays as well. And Christ, something, yeah. mm. you, you know, not everyone can, can necessarily have a space that's their office that they can physically no. leave, but you can, um, you know, get yourself a business phone and then you leave that somewhere or mm. you delete your um, work emails off your off your phone yeah. um, or you turn off notifications. You know, there are there are kind of um, technological ways to get that that physical break if you can't um necessarily yeah, we, just leave that space yeah I mean you know my conservatory used to kind of be in the ha- my office used to sort of be yeah. in my house and so it was more the act of sort of closing down my office and closing down my computer and those sorts of things that was that kind of you need to find a way to do that so that's with burnout with imposter syndrome congratulations you're outside of your comfort zone 
Mm-hmm. And uh, what I would say is there's a few things about imposter syndrome. You're never going to get rid of it. Yeah. And that's if you ask anybody, it's so common. Everybody at some point in their life will have imposter syndrome. And usually it's because we've stepped outside of our comfort zone, which is a good thing. And really the place we need to be as people, not all the time. Sometimes we need to retreat back and spend some time in our comfort zone. But most of the time we need to be exploring what we're capable of, what our potential is. And that means we're going to have to live with discomfort, emotional discomfort of some level. And what you've got to ask yourself there is what's the truth here? What is the truth here? And you've got to manage your own thinking. Imposter syndrome can't be sorted out by somebody else externally telling you, but you're great. You're fantastic. It's reassuring But actually, what it is, is internalizing your own success. You've got to do the work of changing your thinking and internalizing your success so that you're able to say, I'm doing a great job. I'm great. I'm as good as I can be at this stage in my career, my life. I'm doing the best I can. I have all of these success stories. We have to internalize our success. And we're not necessarily going to go out there and say to everybody, oh, look at me. I'm so fantastic <laughs> i love it no you can say um, whatever you want on here. but, but yeah. we um but we do need to be able to look in the mirror and say i'm bloody amazing mm. i've got a, need- got a good little um uh anecdote um from riz ahmed do you know riz ahmed the actor i love riz ahmed uh, so he's up for an oscar for a film called uh, Sound of Metal, I think it's called. Right. And um, he said that he'd been sent a few scripts and he'd read read through a few scripts and he is a a big proponent of being out of your comfort zone. He he likes Mm. to be, um, you know, really in, in the deep end. And the reason that he picked to do the film The Sound of Metal is because it, the the main uh, character that he would have been playing is a drummer, a heavy metal drummer, okay? Doesn't know how to play the drums, but he goes deaf as the film goes on, so he loses his hearing as the film goes on. So he had to learn sign language and drumming. And he was like, right, that's the one I'm picking wow. because I ain't got a clue how to do any of that and I want to be completely out of my comfort zone because if I'm mm-hmm. not... You know, I'm not getting better. Now, obviously, that's a extreme, maybe an extreme <laughs> case of like it, but it really made me think what you were saying there. And, you know, the thing with imposter syndrome, you've got to learn to, you've got to learn to change your thinking. You really have to learn to change your thinking and, and it's tough. And that's why we can't always be engaged in personal development. Heavy personal development needs to kind of, we need to work on some stuff, let it sink in, implement it, let it embed and then start working on it again, you know, because constantly correcting your thinking, if you've got a heavy dose of imposter syndrome, you know, it's quite exhausting. So help yourself make it easier. So this is, mm. you know, I loved it. I've, I've made some notes actually. I was listening to when you were, had um, Shirag on and he said, put the bin in the cupboard. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, put the bin in the cupboard. Stop making it so difficult for you. So put post-it notes around. I do love a post-it note. <laughs> but put some post-it notes around. When you know that you're going to be, let's say you're going to be speaking at an event and you think, oh my God, I shouldn't have this invitation. Like they should have asked somebody else. Classic case of imposter syndrome. You're not owning, you've not internalized your success. You think it's luck that you've you've been invited there. You, so you need to be much more conscious of, of your success and say, I deserve to be there. But you also need to have those messages around on the morning of the conference. You need to have those messages. You need to have already planned 
what am I going to think and say and feel when I've done my talk? Because what I'm not going to do is think and say and feel, oh, that was a bit crap. I could have done it better. They were better than me. I'm not going there. We need to think and we need to have in advance what's our script going to be. This isn't a time for improvisation. This is a time to know the script. This is a time to learn your lines. Mm. And, and, it, and that's, we can't place ourselves in situations where we're leaving it to chance for our emotional brain to come up with the right stuff because your emotional brain will let you down every time because um, it's worrying about your survival and thriving and you're being put in this unknown situation and, and your, your emotional brain goes bananas and says, ah, we're at risk, we're at risk, we're at risk, we're all going to die, we're all going to die. What are you doing? What are you doing? You shouldn't be here. You should leave this to these other people. For, for goodness sake, go home. <laughs> the rational brain needs some lines at that point. Yeah. I think um, that that really sums up um, what we can do as, as experts and professionals, mm. which is completely overcompensate. Mm-hmm. And start going off on a you know monologue about why they should listen to us because we've done this training and this training and that mm-hmm. training. And I don't know about you, but last time I went to get my tires changed at the garage, uh, the guy just got on with it. Yeah, <laughs> and I trusted him to do it because he was running a business, and he did that. a great job. And great I job, and I yeah. paid him, and it was fine. Yeah. Um, so I think sometimes we can spend so much time proving that they need to listen to us that, that we switch them off. Yes, absolutely. Um, Be sympathetic to your audience. Yeah, like actually, they don't care about you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is the other thing is yeah. we've yeah. got to remember as business owners, people don't care about you. They care about themselves. They care about the reason they're sat there. They care about the fact that you're supposed to be there helping them, not dealing with your emotional nonsense on stage. This isn't therapy. It's not speak therapy. <laughs> I'm, I'm here to do a job because I've been asked to do it because I'm an expert in this field. And there are people in that audience that need to hear what I've got to say. And so I need to get on and say it. I might drip in a few of my credentials so that to build trust and credibility, but I don't need to be telling them everything about me at the beginning. Nobody cares about that stuff. Yeah. And the, you know, the, 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 the kind of success that you have as a trainer and behaviorist is not necessarily reflected in your client base, which is a hard thing to look at, but you know that decay from Mm. teaching, you know, your success as a teacher is not whether you turn all of your students into, um, you know, scientists, exactly. It's whether they all have a good time and they get, they come along with you and everybody's happy. Do they become resilient learners? Do they become people that like learning or, or at least know how to learn? That That's always what my aim was. Um, and, and for you, you know, you'll have a, what's the purpose of me being here? Anyway, we could talk about imposter syndrome for a long time. But don't make <laughs> okay. it all about you. That's a good start to the quick fire round. Yeah, really, really. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Okay, we're going no, back no, to... it's fine. I, I, I'll, I'll talk all night long. Don't get me wrong. They're, they're, they're big questions to I know, do quick these, fire. We're giving you a really hard job here to try and do quick fire questions. Next right, question okay. in one word answers, please. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, okay, so this is a really interesting one from uh, Dominica and... Um, from a specifics point of view, I'm happy to help in more detail, but generally it would be good to hear your thoughts, Karen. So she asks, what would they, what would you advise they, (laughs) what would you advise about organizations that we can belong to qualifications and where to start? Do we pay for an organization membership straight away or not? Who are you joining for? 
is my question. You're going to be joining for yourself, honestly, as as a dog carer outside of your industry. I have no idea what all those acronyms are. I've got no idea mm-hmm. about all those organisations that you belong to. What I care about is, do I like you, and do I trust that you're going to help me become the business, the dog owner that I want to be, the dog carer I want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's all I care about. Now, if you've got a list of credentials as long as your arm on on your website, I might glance at that and think gosh that's very impressive but I'm not gonna I doesn't tell me anything about you as a person it doesn't tell me anything about your approach so who are you doing it for and be careful about again things like imposter syndrome and your own confidence more credentials don't mean that you'll get more clients Mm. You've got to learn to market yourself to get clients. Mm. If more credentials, if that next course is because you've come across some stuff with a client and you think, mm, I could do with some extra expertise in that, go for your life. Or if you're looking ahead and you're thinking, I want to be able to do and be qualified to deal with all of these different types of things, go for your life on the credentials. But don't, it's really about who you're doing it for. And if you're doing it just because you think, Um, I can only be a good dog trainer or behaviorist when I've got 16,000 credentials, then that's not true because you could still be a really, really rubbish behaviorist and trainer, even with all of those credentials, because that is knowledge. That's acquisition of knowledge, learning and knowing how to translate that into things that actually make a difference in dogs' lives. That's learning. Um, that happens when you're actually doing it. So mm-hmm. you could have one qualification and be a miles better trainer um, than somebody with 16 qualifications. So just think about why you're doing it and, and what's what your uh, motivation is. It's a really good answer. And I think there's a lot of wasted money that goes on things that people hope will bring them opportunities. Mm-hmm. And yeah, question question why you're doing it but I would say in an unregulated industry have one qualify one well-recognized qualification that makes sure that I would say have one well-recognized qualification if you can um it's not necessary but I think most of I don't know how you feel about it I just think in dog training being such an unregulated industry and and Mm. what you're doing maybe having one but I'd still know people who are fantastic who haven't got any so I don't know whether I would turn myself around on that and I think I I really think it's about who you are and how good you are and and what you need and um I also wouldn't rush to get into bed with any of these organizations if you weren't a hundred percent happy with them because yeah. it's money. It's your profit at the end of the day. It is. So, uh, you know, it took me a good two years to understand, uh, the dog training and behavior industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I say, more than happy to have a chat with you. So, yeah, okay. I, I would, uh, there's just one more thing I would yeah. say you'd be better off paying a really good dog trainer that you trust to show you how they do it than necessarily going and paying somebody who just shows you a load of off the shelf stuff. Yeah. 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 Nothing, nothing compared to those hours of shadowing, standing in a field, watching my peers, you know, uh, you know, looking at dogs, observing body language, mm. you know, no, you know, nothing's compared to that in, in all of my my learning i think um i mean th- th- this podcast just doing this amount of reading has increased mm. my knowledge base 
incredibly, incredibly, incredibly. I'm such a, a, a much better dog trainer than I was this time a year and three months ago because of that. So reading, brilliant. You know, you can learn all You're of the stuff. You're pretty good then. <laughs> I think. I thank you very much. I'm going to leave now. It doesn't get any better than that. Thanks. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, you know, being able to observe and watch and, and being given the opportunity to try it out, um, those baptisms of fire that are so important, you know, when you, when you're doing stuff, those are the moments that have defined, I mean, I'm talking personally here, but those are the moments that have defined me in terms of learning. And anytime I've wanted to join an organization, it's for me, it's so that I can go, yay, I did it. Woo. (laughs) You know, like, you know, just to validate those things that you have learned up to that point. Um, yeah, that's a really good. Uh, I think what Nat said about why would you want to join that one? Like, like what do they do? What do they offer people that are part of it? Mm-hmm. You know, that's a really big one, really big one. Mm-hmm. Great question. Very good question. good question. Okay, so um, next on to Ben. When it comes to a business plan, oh. what are the details that banks actually look at? I've not had a business meeting with our bank yet, but I've heard various things that they only really look at specific parts of your plan and pretty much ignore everything else around it. Is this true or another myth that gets spread around? I would say you need to have the meeting with your bank manager first and then find out what they're looking for. A bank will look for different things. What they really want to know is you're asking them to give you money. They want to know that you're going to do something with that money and be able to pay it back. At the end of the day, that's what your business plan that you show them. And the business plan that you work with as a business owner is very different to one that you put in to a bank. Um, So they're going to ask for competitor analysis and all of this kind of thing. Now, they're only going to ask for competitor competitor analysis because they want to know that you know that there's a market out there and that you know how you fit into that market. Mm-hmm. So you only need to give as much competitor analysis as it takes to prove that point. So if you can show through your market research that, you, that you've that you got a, a, a business there, they're not going to go into your competitor analysis in depth. The main things really that you need to show is how are we going to make money and what are we going to do with that money? So a cash flow forecast, they're definitely going to want to look at your cash flow forecast. And that's where I would spend time anyway. Um, if you're growing, if you're going for investment, you want to know how are we managing this money? So it's not all a waste of time. You really want to know how am I going to manage this money and how am I going to make it grow so that I can pay it back? So sales forecasting, cash flow forecasting and your market research are the three areas I would put the most effort into. All of the other stuff, they, they might be asking for all kinds of information, but that's probably the stuff they're going to home in on. But it is worth you taking time over a bank business plan because it does make you think seriously and carefully about your business. So although it feels like a big waste of time, um, because you'll probably never look at that document again, other than the cash flow and sales forecast, you'll probably never look at it again, um, that type of business plan. Um, it is worth doing it. It forces you to take yourself seriously as a business owner. Mm-hmm. Nice. Look at the the good Dragon's Den pictures where, I'm, you know, I'm not a businesswoman, but I, I watch them and I'm like, okay, they've shown that there is a market. They've shown that they've got a niche in the market and they can provide mm-hmm. that service and they've shown that they can make a profit. Yep. They've shown some proof of concept. And that's mm-hmm. really, if you're going for money and you've you've not, 
sold a single thing in your business yet or you've made you know they're going to want to they're going to ask you some questions about that so mm. you need to show through your market research that you know that once you've got the money you're going to be able to do it so that that's that's that but there is, is of course the other business plan which is the one you actually use i, I just got i just got a shiver down my spine and oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the but, one but that we all well, I actually wake up and look at. <laughs> well, yeah, I actually... the one that you review regularly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I was just—we uh, actually put a business plan in and got a business loan. God, how many yeah. years ago that was now? Yeah. I don't remember doing all of that, but I must have done. I know I did. Um, you would have done it light touch, probably. Yeah. I mean, it was a lot easier to get money back then. Yeah. yeah. Well, we did it through the government. There was a government scheme for new businesses. Oh yeah, um, that would have been easier. But. Yeah, our business is nothing. The, what we put in then, it's changed. It's completely different. Back Absolutely. then, it was all about dog walking, and, and that's how we, we got our vehicle and things like that. Mm-hmm. But now we don't even do that. So, yeah, yeah. business plans change, don't they? They do. Mm-hmm. And that is a really important point. It's okay that your business plan changes. It's meant to. It's a, it's a working document in your business that helps to give you direction and helps you to say no to things that you should not be saying yes to. Mm-hmm. It helps you to say no to things so you can say a bigger yes to the things that you really want. And if you don't have, so business plans can range from one page to a few pages. I have a very light touch um, uh, template that I use with my clients and what it does is it gives you direction this is where we want to go and this is how we think we we're going to get there and this year these are the things that we need to accomplish to get us you know a fifth of the way there or a third of the way there if it's a three-year plan you know but it they can be very light touch documents and some people are very good at planning sort of on the fly they just have a sense of Okay, next quarter, I think our clients really want a new X class. Let's start one of those. Your business is just morphing and you're planning. So your planning horizon is shorter than, you know, somebody who's got a five-year business plan or a three-year mm-hmm. business plan or even a one-year business plan. You know, think about what your planning horizon is. How, how far forward are you comfortable planning and plan for that. But the key thing about a business plan, really, you only need one if you keep saying yes to things that you really ought to say no to. And if your business is static, if it's stagnant and not growing, because what happens is when we aim at nothing, we hit it every time. So if you want to be going somewhere, if you want to have a a set kind of, right, this is what we want, this is where we're going, then you need a plan to get there. You know, otherwise, basically, you've um, put a destination in the sat-nav and you've sat in a car and just played with the wheel. Um, (laughs) You've actually got to start the car and start moving and you've got to have a sense of where you're going a sense of direction we all, um, i think we all have moments like that though don't we so it is yeah, yeah. well we beat the and horn and, yeah. yeah and then we get <laughs> we get ourselves sorted or we go back in and yeah have a cup of coffee and come and back a, and then a plan off. can help to bring you back if you go into a bit of a malaise in your business or you know you just get a bit onto a plateau a plan can help rejuvenate you because you should be looking at your plan at least once a quarter to say well where have we got to um why haven't we done the things that we said that we were going to do and right let's what are we going to do about that so it's a doc it's a working document that helps keep you moving forward in your business in the right direction i need a mindset shift because straight away when you said if you aim for nothing you hit it every time immediately my brain went well that's how you get your goals achieved every day (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> Aim at nothing. Winning. Winning. I am winning at off. my business plan of nothing. <laughs> but right. in fact, but you have to think then about that. This is the problem with the future self and the present self. So you then have to think about in five years' time, am I going to be happy if my business is still the same size it is now? Yeah. 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 Uh, because what happens is we. Your brain is programmed for your survival and thriving right now. And stuff in the future is about you surviving and thriving in the future. So your emotional brain is like, no, 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 no. We need to do the thing now. We need to do the thing now. Don't do the thing that's about, that's got nothing to do with me. So, But in the future, you're going to go, why didn't we do that thing? Because then now, now we need that thing. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Damn the future. The next question <laughs> is... Uh, really good uh, segue into it. Uh-huh. So this is, um, I, I, I hope and I think about uh, confidence in upsell. Mm-hmm. So uh, the lovely Keris. Hi, Keris. She says, um, I'm struggling with business forecasting. Mm-hmm. By definition, if trainers and behaviorists are good at their jobs, they won't have many long-term or repeat business clients. Mm-hmm. So how do you predict that? uh, How do you predict what demand will be a year on year when you have a new business? I feel like I can now predict most people booking for one-to-one puppy training might go on to a six to eight sessions. um, But beyond that, I haven't really been able to forecast. Any tips would be great. Keris, I'm going to challenge your thinking that a good trainer won't have upsells i i don't agree with you there and and i think um corin and steve have done this brilliantly um your people are always looking to learn more and if so what i would say is as a as a dog trainer do you really think that after a six to eight week course somebody is done no and I, no, Keris, no, I bet you don't. Sorry. No, I bet Keris doesn't either. Keris, I bet, I bet you don't think it's that they're done. And so you have to be looking at what's the journey that I want to take people on, um, and what journey do they want to go in, on, and how can I facilitate that? So Corin and Steve have done this brilliantly in their business, and I'll hand over to them in a second. But you need to be thinking about that. the other thing is your you've just got to turn your thinking around a little bit. It's not how much business is going to come in. It's how much business am I going to create? So if you say, I want to make this year this amount of money and I want this amount of clients, what marketing do you need to do to make that happen? It's all in your hands. It's not chance. If you set in your business plan that you want 100 clients, then you damn well go out and do the work to get 100 clients and you monitor that each month you know that might be 10 new clients a month right okay did I get 10 this month what marketing did I do which of that marketing worked really really well which didn't work well right I'm going to ramp it up did I get 10 this month yes I did brilliant right keep going keep going keep going so it's your numbers will tell you everything you need to know but you're in control you're in you're in charge Coca-Cola, don't, deci- don't let us decide how much Coca-Cola we're going to buy. 
they decide how much Coca-Cola we're going to buy and they market to us until we buy that amount. You know, God that's damn them sugar traders. <laughs> <laughs> Same with anything else. The business decides how much it wants to sell and sets that target. And then it does the work to make that target happen. And, and as a business owner, that's what you need to be doing. Well, and that's why business planning is so important and marketing planning is so important. Something that leaps to mind, you, um, who was it? Who was the question from that? Sorry. Keris. Uh, Keris. So Keris has mentioned working with puppies and sort of doing mm-hmm. six to eight weeks with them. Um, but we know not long after that, their dogs are going to be entering adolescence. And we know yep. that that is a time when people need lots of guidance. So that is something that I think that you could be talking about toward, on maybe session six or session five or whatever it is, yeah. um, so that you know that you, that you can help them through that or that, that, that you're there when they start to struggle, that they can come back to you. So you, you always need the next level. You mm-hmm. always need the next level. How can I keep working with this person? What can I offer them that will keep them working with me? Because all you're doing is off inviting them to carry on their journey. And some people will say, no, it's okay. I want to get off the bus now. I, I feel like I'm done. I, I, this is, I'm the business. I'm the dog um, guardian that I want to be. I'm, I'm happy to get off the bus now. Fine. Thank you so much. We've loved working with you. We're here if you need anything. But actually other people are like, oh, that looks like fun or I'd like to have more fun with my puppy or I'd like to deal with, I know you do recall, you do some loose lead. You know, you've picked some specific things that people struggle with and created courses around that. And you also seed your courses, your future courses, all through your current course. You know, on the loose lead, we're only doing this this week, but on the loose lead course, we do this in Mm -hmm. a lot more detail. So if loose lead is really important to somebody because they've got young children or they've got elderly parents who might want to walk the dog off for whatever reason, those are the marketing messages that you get then can give out for that. So yes, it's all about taking people on a journey. And even as a behaviorist, people will want some kind of follow-up, you know, mm-hmm. so they, they still want to have that reassurance you might you could have any number of products and services i can think of that would enable you to carry that but often it's our reticence or um being uncomfortable about having that conversation Mm -hmm. that stops that ongoing relationship yeah Mm. and i found that once i was braver because i practiced it you know stupidly with people (laughs) you know doing (laughs) um little role plays um at the end of a behavior consult if i go okay well we've we've done some really good work today um i think we can carry it on much better next time should we put something in the diary yeah that's that's, so important that's all it needs like literally i've learned that from karen just do it there and then because if they cancel fine but otherwise where are you left everyone's left a bit high and dry and don't really know what's happening next and so are they. They're looking to you for guidance. Yeah. Stop putting it in the hands of the people that don't know what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> They've asked yeah. you to help them. Help them. <laughs> we were, um, I was talking, well, so I spoke to Nick, I was talking about Nick Manjoli. I spoke to him today about how much that's turned around. Even recently for me in terms of, because um, we've been doing a lot of like reactivity things recently because we've only been able to do like welfare one-to-ones and things along those lines. Mm. Um I've just decided 
I I want like if I'm taking on a client to talk about reactivity or something like that, then I want uh, uh, at least to be five sessions. So there'll be an assessment and then there'll be five sessions. So my whole uh, patter through the entire thing is about, um, you know, this to keep this momentum up to see results. Let's you know, the, our first stage is going to be fi- a five session block booking. Um, and the turnaround on that has been really good. Not only has it been really good. I'm then going back to ideal client. I'm then working with people that I know are massively committed to work mm-hmm. with this over five sessions that are going to go away. Like we're going to have, you know, we're going to be talking like via WhatsApp about things uh, you know, during the week. And, and it's been so rewarding for me. So rewarding. I mean, I'm in the positive reinforcement game. So when, when I end a day and I think I've, you know, I could have worked, you know, 10 hours, but if I end a day and I think, I always say I feel like a dog trainer today when I've had a really good day. I always sort of sit around and we say that. And I love that, you know, that that's reinforcement mm. for me, you know. Um, mm. And yeah, that I think that sort of thing, that, that conversation at the end, that five minutes is massively important, massively important. Don't just sort of go, yeah, you know where I am, email, email me if you want me, you know, like that sort of thing and just sort of like walk away and sort of, you know, really try and... I'm hanging, it's cruel. Yeah, yeah, it is cruel. <laughs> you are no, there as right. their guide. Yeah. You are there as their guide. So if um, Yoda had done some training with Luke Skywalker and then said, mm-hmm. yeah, okay, come back if you think you need a bit more, um, I so think Luke would Thank you come if you need more. Thank you come if you need more. So... You know, he he was the mentor. He was a guide. He told Luke what he needed. Mm. He mm. told Luke when he was done. He told Luke, you're done or you're not done. Although and, Luke did did go against his will to go and Yeah, but then Vader. he went back in yes, Return of the yeah, Jedi. I'll, I'll and, and he said, so I am a Jedi. And he said, no, one more thing you have to do. Yes. You have to confront Vader. <laughs> you know, he was in charge. Yoda was the one. You're Yoda to your clients hero you know you're the guide they're the hero so they're are you to... saying we should order a job lot of jedi robes and live, and live <laughs> in a swamp you, you could do that if you wanted <laughs> don't I'd get steve started I'd come yeah. to, but that's how you've got to think of it is is that you are offering a service it's up to people whether they say yes or no yeah mm. yeah i yeah. had i've had um a really really casual casual client that uh, that i see I see every week. I'm, when I say casual, I mean they're really cash <laughs> about everything to the point where I'm like, I don't know if this is all going well or anything like that. Anyway, today I was like, you know, I, I think it's come to its end. It's the last session. I'm like, send me pictures because I really miss the dogs, you know. And they're like, what? Corinne's going to cry. No, I know. In, in all honesty, if I'm telling the truth, I did cry with each dog today, <laughs> just a Aww. little bit. And then I get back and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go now. And they're like, um, what do you mean? I'm like, oh, okay. They, they, they're having a great, like, they're so casual. I just didn't know that. And then as I'm driving out the driveway, one of them comes running out and was like, you're never leaving us ever. And I was like, oh, you okay, you bye. To, you know, this is, this is really key that we have to understand our role and what, and take that role seriously. Don't mm. leave people hanging. Mm. It's mean. It's mean. <laughs> Don't leave us hanging. We need you. I think, yeah, I think we all need to practice that um, end of consult mm-hmm. uh, patter. Yeah. And it's really uncomfortable because mm-hmm. it involves money and it involves booking in again and mm-hmm. it involves continuing to work with us. But 
if if you shy away from it, it it's like going to a GP appointment and um, them just listening to you and then not giving you a prescription or a referral or a follow up. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You'd just be a bit like you say, left high and dry. Yeah. So and the um, other thing is, just because you've taught it doesn't mean they've learned it. Yeah. Yeah. And this is the thing: you just because you said it doesn't mean they know that what they're doing. They need more and that's the thing about to your point um steve you know five sessions if you set that up at the beginning because you're going to have to repeat yourself a lot in yeah. that five sessions yeah. they're going to need a lot of help and they're going to need ongoing help and so yeah just because just remember just because you taught it doesn't mean they've learned it there's a difference yeah. between knowledge acquisition and true learning and embedding that learning yeah give them a chance to learn not just acquire knowledge Great. um We've had some extra questions from uh, Zara and Emma and uh, I really Greg- will do quick fire. Greggy P. No, no, I think. Oh, sorry. I really hope that we've covered them because they're all about um, wow. business planning. So right. I, well, what I will I think do. We've done okay. I am really happy. In the next few days, it won't be before. Um, it won't be before the Easter holiday because I've I've got quite a full. But I will go through and answer each of the questions anyway oh, bless you. Um, in there. And um, if anybody wants to, you know, to get in touch, that's absolutely fine. If if they're not sure, we can we can converse in can, in yeah. that. Do a share and a big case if anyone, page, can't we? If anyone um, contacts Karen and and bulks at uh, her pricing, then you know. You you need to re-listen to the podcast and understand <laughs> why uh, expertise costs. So um, I think we all need to get a better mindset with with uh, providing expertise because yeah. it's I think it's a a, a big problem um, and uh, not something that I'm particularly still a hundred percent comfortable with. I'm better. Mm. I'm a lot better. A lot better at it. Um, because if I'm 100% honest, I would do this job for free. Mm. So I feel like I'm very lucky to do it and get paid something. And, uh, you know, a lot of us don't come from a business background. We just Mm. want to help animals. And I think that's why we really wanted to have you on. I mean, we've talked about you on the podcast before and we... um, we love you big k oh thanks so, i love you yeah you've been you've, you. you've been, got me started well you've been <laughs> such an inspiration and you, you know probably all the free stuff in the pub that you've given us your hourly rate probably ain't that great <laughs> <laughs> it was worth it all that cider it was delicious yeah what we should mention is if you if you do want to hear more from Karen, she has our own absolutely awesome podcast, don't you, Karen? She does. I do. It's it's. I'm hoping it's set to get better. But um, yes, the Smart Business Podcast. If you want to go, and you can find it on iTunes and Spotify, or you can go to my website, KarenMurray.biz, and forward slash podcast, and all the podcast episodes are there. And if people just want to uh, get in contact with you or, you know. Uh... So they can email, they can direct message me on Facebook um, or they can um, email me at Karen Murray at Karen Murray.biz. So nice and easy. Karen Murray at Karen Murray.biz. Do get in touch. I'd love to just hear how you're all getting on. I love to hear from dog trainers anyway. You're all such amazing people. And I do love working with with um, dog training businesses. So 
and we'll stick all of those links into our show notes as Thank well you. if you need to Thank find you it. so much. This has been so lovely. Have it's been fun? so lovely to see you. I have had loads of fun. I um sorry we've gone on longer than your no, off worry. the shelf yeah, um, hey. sessions. And uh, but I've had a ball and it's just been so lovely to see you all and yeah. hear what's okay. going on with you. It's just it's like quite. the old days. It's lovely. It is. Yeah. It's like the old days. Soon we, definitely we can have to do it at the pub gardens. Yes. I think it's I yes. know. More cider. It's not long. More cider, also, less Facebook lives. And I really look forward to in about two years' time when everything you've said today sinks in. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to be angling for that, for a shorter learning. Um, it's all right, Karen. You've still got me. That's it. I'm, far, I'm 43 now. I think, you know, I'm, I'm over the hill now. I'm, 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 the, old, I'm the stubborn Careful. old man trying to Careful. Learn. I'm 49. Oh, well, there you are. You look better than I do. <laughs> <laughs> not with this hair <laughs> by the way i noticed the uh the old hand floating around quite a bit oh yeah, yeah. oh the hand yeah yeah oh, congratulations congratulations i've got engaged guys just yeah, so you have no idea my hand wandering hi, around hi chris <laughs> oh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> somewhere around they, they're all under instruction not to come anywhere near my office <laughs> on somebody else's podcast don't come anywhere near the office as it should be well thank you thank you so much it's Nat, been did you do your pleasure. photo oh yeah photo, oh, no, I photo. Oh, photo. photo. okay Hang on. Right. i'm gonna move my blue yeti otherwise mm-hmm. yeah, I've got a, I've got if a anyone doesn't mess. know what a blue yeti is that's a microphone because that might sound a bit weird wouldn't it got be a bit less um okay yeah we ready? Yeah. Yay. Oh, hang on. Press the wrong button. Uh, let me just check that works. No, it didn't. Hang, oh. hang on, hang on, hang on. Leave this in, Steve. Leave this in. <laughs> I've basically taken a picture of my desktop. Okay, right. Ready? Hold on. There we go. There you go. Lovely. Oh, brilliant. Lovely, lovely. Right, I think it's that time, isn't it? Fake bye. Fake bye. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Lovely bye. Just like they've always done A spark of life We multiply this ride Has just begun And here at the end of a line the stretches back through all time. Time guided by a primal desire to simply survive. Survive, you can't keep it down.
for feet, for seed, our genes compete, this war is never won, numbers increase, for reason and peace, our mass as one with and where opposition exists, it's our duty to persist, resist and fight and defend till the end, another's right to all this, this A kiss, you can't keep me down, you know, and I can't keep you down, I know, and it won't be kept down.